Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, quite a rare occasion, I would say, that I was here two mornings in a row. Some of you were here yesterday and heard some comments already, like I'm here two days in a row. So uh, <clears throat> Brother Earl contacted me some time ago because of something that I wrote about uh, culture and asked if I'd come and share with you about uh, my understandings of culture and how that impacts our lives. So that's why I'm here today. So thank you, Brother Earl, for trusting me to speak to your people. And so, uh, yes, uh, not sure what all. <coughs> Introduction. <coughs> oh, that's what that's for. Oh, I'm learning a lot today, a lot about turtles. And uh, my experience with turtles has not been very good, especially snapping turtles. Uh, <clears throat> kind of scared me to see that live snapping turtle here. Uh, I was told to stay away from them. Anybody ever eat snapper soup? Anybody? Okay, so that's a common common uh, dish here, I guess. I was at a barn raising one time when I was, uh, since we're married, but I was a young man. And uh, the, the farmer was David Lehman and his wife Elizabeth, uh, is quite a dynamic lady, and uh, we were eating soup, and we didn't know what kind of soup it was, and so somebody asked her, and she said, well, she looked out the lane one day, and there was a turtle going across the lane, and, and she went out and got the turtle and turned it into soup, and so we were having snapper soup. Once in my life, I had snapper soup. Well, <clears throat> what to say? I mean, you've heard so much already today. I've been blessed to be here already in heard uh, David preach and and uh, heard your comments about uh, Peter and all the practical advice and just like to reinforce what Jerry said uh, having therefore these promises dearly beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit that's pretty important that's a command we have to cleanse ourselves from flesh and spirit sins of flesh and spirit uh, and in our world, it's uh, not a common, that's not a common theme. That's not something most people are interested in doing. And and so the question that, that comes to me as I have been a teacher and uh, is, is what happens if we allow the Bible to, to direct our lives? If we allow the Bible to direct our lives, and uh, if you want me, when you want me to stop, brother, will you? Do something like this or get my attention somehow. Okay. All right. So. <laughs> now, that's not usually a problem. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so, the other thought, a uh, couple of thoughts here in, in the beginning. Uh, one is that I've, I've been fascinated by the concept of teaching history backwards. Teaching history backwards. I don't know if our brother's a history teacher or not. No, not history. Okay. Uh, but I've had problems with history teachers in that they always want to start in the beginning of the history book and we get all the way through the school year and we're only halfway through the book because they have to be so thorough about everything and so complete about everything that they, we just can't go. We have to, we have to do this right and get it all right. So I started telling history teachers, now here's your book. Here's the middle of the book. When we get to the middle of the year, I'd like you to be halfway through the book. 
well, they're, we're already in trouble because they know they can't do that. And so I, I got the idea, what if we took history backwards? What if we start where we are and say, ask ourselves, now how did we get there? And then see where that is and say, now how did we get there? And how did we get there? <laughs> okay, is this making any kind of sense? So if I would say, uh, let's talk about where we are relative, relative to culture and relative to the world we live in, uh, I woke up at 2 o'clock this morning, and at 2 o'clock this morning, my mind started going through what I wanted to say to you all today. And by 3 o'clock, I realized I hadn't gotten anywhere close to done yet. Uh, and I'm just lying there in bed thinking and thinking about everything I want to say. And then I thought, maybe I better go to the end and look at that and then see if we can figure out how we got there. So here's the way. I've been trying to present this to uh, students along the way and church groups that this is such a handy little whiteboard. Uh, So here's where we are. I I can't draw anything, but I can try to draw. Okay, this is supposed to be a person. And the way much of the world, and we've already heard this expressed today, and Brother Earl's and Brother David's message and some of the comments that you've made and some of the con- content of First Peter and even Second Peter that <clears throat> that the way the religious world wants to work today is that we as Christians are covered with a cloak of righteousness. So there you are and you're covered with a cloak of righteousness so that when God sees you, what he sees is the cloak of righteousness and he does not see you. He only sees the cloak of righteousness. And this was the teaching of Augustine and Martin Luther so that you can be a sinner. Okay? You can be a sinner and God sees you as righteous. Now the question, and that's that's very commonly taught, believed, understood, practiced. So the question is, is that true? Is that biblical? Well, there's another way to looking at this, and the other way to look at this is, uh, and I should tell you, I was teaching at a youth group last year, and uh, I have so many outlines and diagrams to put on the board. And I was doing that, and they're so farmerish that, you know, people wonder if they can understand them. There was a girl there whom I, I didn't know she was an excellent artist, but the people who were in charge, they got this young lady, and they put her 10 feet away with a flip chart, and she'd look at my things, and she'd make them look nice. Okay, That way people could understand what I was saying. Well, she's not here today, so you're at the mercy of my poor artwork. Uh and here's, here's another way to look at this. Okay, and this is supposed to look the same way. Uh, well, I already made a mistake. That uh, this person is, uh, is here. And uh, there's a different way to possibly look at this. And the other way to possibly look at this is that, and we're not going to stay away from the cloak of righteousness. The cloak of righteousness is there. It comes from Isaiah 61. That's very true. But as for the verse that Jerry read from uh, from Second Corinthians 7, we need to cleanse ourselves from all 
filthiness and of, of flesh and spirit. And how can that happen? Well, we have a task to do, but also we have a heart. So I like to make a heart here. And God does look at us. He looks at us and he sees the cloak of righteousness, which really is the cloak, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But he also does more than that. He comes inside of us and gives us a clean heart. Okay? So that we are no longer sinners, but we're actually saints. Is this making any sense so far? Is it possible that you're a saint? Is that possible? Is it possible that God has cleansed your life? Is it possible that you have cleansed your life? Is it possible? I heard the word holy this morning. Did you hear that in the sermon? Is it possible that you're holy? Is it possible that you can live a life of holiness? Is that possible? Is that happening? These people say it's not possible. Okay. They say it's not possible. And don't even try. Live however you want. It's called eternal security. Okay? You've heard of that maybe. Alright. It has a long, long history. And by the way, this requires to live as saints, covered by the blood of Jesus and a heart changed by God and living with a heart close to God takes a little bit of energy. Okay? And this is where we get in trouble with the people who don't accept that. And this is the Protestant world, okay? If we're going to put labels here, this is the Protestant world, okay? This, I'll just put, just abbreviate that. This is the Protestant world, and it's what they teach. Okay? This, I'm going to say, is what the Bible teaches. Okay? And and I've heard it already this morning. You've already expressed it. So then let's uh, take a look at this little whiteboard here. And I want to draw some picture of of how I understand this. And I've discovered that pictures are worth many words. So in church history, it's, it's a line. Church history is a line that goes... Something like that. I can't draw, by the way. And in church history, uh, the church was persecuted, very heavily persecuted. The first 300 years, very, very heavily persecuted church. And in the persecuted church, we had no doubt about who was a Christian and who was not. Never a question. Because the Christians are persecuted. The government persecuted the Christians. And so there's never not a question about who's a Christian and who's not. But along comes, and I'm just going to put the letter here. Constantine came along, and he was a Roman emperor, and he wanted to rule the entire Roman Empire. He only ruled part of it. He wanted to rule the entire empire. He knew he'd have to go to battle to do that. And they had battle flags that they would hold and they would have 
banners. And he saw in the sky, he saw an image. And what we think he saw from the accounts are what's called the, I'll do that someday, the Cairo. The Chi is a Greek, looks like an X, and the Rho looks like a P. And it's actually C-H-R, which are the first three letters of Christ. And when he saw that, he thought God was telling him, the Christian God was telling him, that if he goes to battle with this on his flags, he'll win. He went to battle, and he won. And he changed the whole world. We have inherited the change he made. Okay, so this is where we are. This is going to be how we got there. Okay? We're teaching history backwards. This is the way I understand it, and I will have time for open discussion. So, what Constantine did, and I'm going to use red to follow what I think is the biblical path here, is in the first 300 years, we have the Christian church is in society, but it is rejected by society, and it's rejected by the empire. Until Constantine makes Christianity legal, and in 325, he calls a, he calls a, the council of the church together. Can you imagine a world leader today calling a council of the church together? Well, that's what he did in 325. The, the Christians at this point said, uh-oh, we're in trouble. The people who followed the Bible said, we're in big trouble because now everybody's a Christian. If everybody's a Christian, who are the Christians? How will we know? They said, we can't tell anymore because everybody's a Christian. He marched his armies through fountains. He marched them through rivers baptizing them, so they all became Christian. <clears throat> now who's a Christian? And so the way I've tried to illustrate this to students is to say that Christianity had to go kind of underground. It had to go in hiding because now if you were a Bible-believing Christian and you did not adopt the ideas of, of Constantine and then Augustine, you're going to be persecuted. Okay? So the real Christians are still going to be persecuted. But those who are, would eventually become the Protestant Christians, those people are not persecuted anymore. Is this, if I get too involved here, ask questions or say something or, okay? So here's what happened. Throughout history, we had these Christian people, Bible-believing Christian people, uh, the Donatists and a whole list of groups like that. I will just list the Albigenses and the Waldensians. Have you heard of those people? Those are people we've heard of, okay? So those are people who, as time went along, and, and the Bible-believing people would leave the system and they would join this persecuted church. And they were persecuted, they were killed, they were hunted, and so on. When we get... And uh, Augustine is another person who gets on the scene here. I'll just put an A there, A-U-G, for Augustine. He's around 400, 400 a little bit after, okay? 
And he becomes the person who establishes the theology of the church. The theology of the church is established by Augustine very, very early, 400s. And when we get to uh, 1517, so here we're, here we're roughly 300, okay? When we get to 1517, a major event happens in that Martin Luther will leave the Catholic Church. He's a Catholic. He's a trained Catholic. He's a monk. He is uh, an Augustinian monk. So he brings the ideas of Augustine into the Reformation. He brings them in thoroughly. Martin Luther brings the ideas of Augustine. Ideas like, and I just uh, wrote down some of the things that I can do it without looking, but I better if I take a look here. Uh, he's... Uh, I don't teach every day like I used to, so I'm getting a little rusty on some of those things. He's teaching this approach that, let's say a little bit about Augustine and and, uh, Luther. Augustine was a very naughty boy. Anybody know about Augustine? He was a naughty, naughty boy, okay? Had a girlfriend. His mother was so distressed that he was not a believer she won she prayed and prayed and prayed that her son would become saved and he uh he finally realized how bad a person he was like i think uh, brother earl mentioned you know we're worse than we think we are and god's holier than we think he is okay very true augustine tells a story he wrote two books he wrote confessions and he wrote uh the city of god thank you i need a lot of help here okay good city of god where he contrasts the city of God or the church with the city of the world. And in his writings, he says that there was a time when he and some other boys came into an orchard and they stole the pears. They were green. He said that you couldn't even eat them. Why would you steal green pears? They just did it because they were bad people. They did it just to cause trouble. And he said when he, re- when he reflected on the fact that he had that he had stolen green pears for no reason. He realized how bad he was. Okay? Why would you do that? And so, he came up with this idea of eternal security. Because he said, I'm so bad that the only way I can be saved is God reaches down in the mud and picks me up and washes me off and puts me under his, under his umbrella. And now, but I'm still a sinner. But God doesn't know that. Because all he sees is that the blood of Jesus is over me. So when he sees me, he only sees Jesus. He doesn't see me. And so Augustine believed he could stay a sinner but be saved. Does that sound like what Jerry was talking about and what you heard in your sermon this morning? This is where we are. And Martin Luther said, you know what? I sort of like that idea. (laughs) Okay? So Luther perpetuated this. And this is being perpetuated today. In our day, it's being perpetuated. So I had the privilege of being part of a youth group growing up uh, that was uh, basically brethren in Christ. There were United Christian people there. There were United Zion people there. All the mothers wore coverings. 
the Brethren in Christ Church was beginning to move away. Now I'm, now I'm into the current day, okay? Into the current day, uh, in the 60s, when I was growing up in the 60s, the Brethren in Christ Church was very, very plain. If you know any River Brethren people, that's the old order wing of the Brethren in Christ. And that's the way many of the Brethren in Christ people dressed when I was a teenager, okay? Uh, not quite as strict as some of the River Brethren, but really, you know, the ladies were, were, and the men wore plain vests and plain coats. Not just plain coats. They wore plain vests under their plain coats. Many of the churches that went worldly went worldly by the people, people pushing the envelope and the leaders following. That's not what happened with the Brethren in Christ. The leaders made the decision. In 1949 and 1950, you know, this is the kind of stuff that's going on in my mind at 2 o'clock this morning, between 2 and 3, then I went back to sleep again. Okay, so. <clears throat> and I was thinking, if I tell you all the names and dates and places and people, I'll put everybody to sleep. But this is pretty important, that in 1949 and 50, the Brethren in Christ joined two organizations. They joined the National Association of Evangelicals, which teaches this. They joined a Protestant organization. They also joined the National Holiness Association, which didn't seem like this. And so they were trying to merge holiness and Protestantism together. And they, yeah, I can make this a long story. <clears throat> what I saw happen among the young people I was growing up with, good, solid people, people that we, you would love and trust. They started saying, you know, we, we have to win the world. And we can't win the world wearing coverings and plain clothes and talking Dutch. and can't do it. So we have to change. And the girls cut their hair and started wearing earrings and shorts. and Because, hey, this works. This is an easy sell. And I was 17 years old, and I went to talk to the pastors. Actually, went to a pastor's office, and I said, "What? This? I could not go along with this stuff." And it caused me a lot of heart grief. And I had talks with the bishop, Brother in Christ Bishop. No, Frank, we have to win the world. And I was painted as the uh, bad person. I was the one who didn't want to change the world. Okay? And so today, to shorten the story, I'm the only one of that group of about 30 young people who has stayed with any level of conservative life. Okay? I'm the only one. They all, all the rest of them went the, the way they were supposed to go. Okay? And so... Where did this all come from? Well, it came from Constantine and Augustine and Martin Luther. Okay, and even into our current day, the current evangelical world, okay, the evangelical world. And I don't know your position, EVN. Evangelicalism. I don't know your position on radios, if you listen to radio or not. That's not. I'm not trying to find out. But in 1959, 
WDAC came online. Anybody ever hear of WDAC? Okay, we've heard of that. All right. It is an evangelical radio station. In 1959, they started broadcasting, and people who never had radios say, oh, now we can listen to Christian preaching and Christian music and Christian everything. And so we've come under that influence for a couple generations now. I mean, 1959, I was 12 years old. My mother was concerned about WDAC. She wrote a letter and said, you're taking our people the wrong direction. But it has heavily influenced truck drivers can get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, turn on DAC in their truck and drive all day and hear preaching. Is it this preaching or is it this preaching? Which preaching is it? Housewives get up in the morning and wash dishes and clothing and can peaches and listen to good, solid Christian music and preaching. Is it this preaching or is it this preaching? Uh, what, what can I say? This is where we are. And this is how we got there. Okay? So what is going to happen here in Martin Luther's day? There was another man. His name was Ulrich Zwingli. And Zwingli and Luther could not agree. So they split. And Zwingli, Luther uh, turned his church into the Lutheran church. Zwingli turned his church into the Reformed church. Now, Lois and I grew up in the little village of Bethel. You ever hear of Bethel? It's like up 501, about eight miles from here. As you're coming into Bethel... On the right-hand side, there's a big stone church. Anybody picture that? That's a Reformed church. Then the school's on the left. That's where we went to school. Of course, they made a new one now. And then next past the school is another church. That's a Lutheran church. So Bethel had a Reformed church and a Lutheran church. Many little communities. Rarsburg has a Reformed church. Many little communities. These are all Germans. Growing up at Bethel, everybody talked German. The Lutheran people were Germans. The Reformed people were Germans. And it had a huge brethren community. Solidly conservative brethren community. Uh, Church there in Frystown, the church, if you get back on the little alleyway behind the, the main street that goes through Frystown, there's a church right there. That was a Church of the Brethren building. Uh, the Dunker Brethren bought it in 1964 because the Brethren b- built the new building on the Raresburg Road up on the hill. Anybody know where the Little Satara Church of the Brethren building is? They built that, and so they sold the one in Frystown. Uh, they sold the one at Schubert. Lois's father bought it, turned it into a Mennonite church. Okay, the Schubert Mennonite Church. Anybody know where this is? A little local history and geography here. Uh, the Murkey's Church, which was where my parents went, grandparents went to church, uh, is just across the rough mountain, and they now have completely reconstructed that, made it a beautiful, beautiful building. And so <clears throat> what happened was uh, in that community, the brethren were going liberal, <clears throat> and a few people pulled aside, my grandparents pulled aside, which is why I'm not part of the big system, okay? And so 
what was happening. <clears throat> now we're going to go back and talk about what was happening in the 1500s. In the 1500s, the Catholic Church is so busy that they can no longer control things. Luther has broken the bond that they had together for a thousand years. And Zwingli's causing them trouble. In fact, Zwingli died on the battlefield fighting Catholics. He didn't want... In the canton of Zurich, like like the county of Zurich, like this, this is Lebanon County, right? So let's say Lebanon County would be Zwingli's territory and, and he was trying to turn Lebanon County into, into a Protestant county and all the counties around are Catholic. Well, they came over here to fix him. You know, we're going to turn you, we're, we're going to stay Catholic. And Zwingli buckled on his sword and went out to the battlefield and lost his life. Oh. Yep, yep. There you go. Exactly. I, I, you know, I never thought about that. That I'm. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> Lebanon, Lebanon's trying to be a unique county here, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Uh, it's still happening. <clears throat> Not so good. Okay. <laughs> well, what's going to happen? The Catholic Church gets its hands so full that it can't fight everybody anymore. They're trying to fight Luther. They call him to, the, to a council. The Diet of Arms. I mean, you probably studied this in history somewhere along the way. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it would take an hour to talk about the Diet of Arms. It would take longer than that. So you re- you study it, okay? <clears throat> and now they've got Zwingli to deal with, and Zwingli has students: Conrad Grabble, Felix Mons, Simon Stumpf. These are Zwingli's students, and they realize Zwingli's wrong, and they join this movement. <clears throat> This has a long history, okay? They joined the movement. And the movement uh, is going to start in 1525. <clears throat> I'll just put the, some dates down here. 1525 will be the Swiss Brethren. Uh, 1530 will be, uh, this will be in uh, Switzerland. <clears throat> this one's going to be in the Netherlands. Manuel will join this group in 1536. 1693. Sometimes I say 19 when I mean 16. 1693, the Amish. 1708, the Brethren. Uh, So what's happening here, 1693, Amish. 1708, the Brethren. And these people all come to North America. They came to, uh, <clears throat> not this group. This, this group is the is the uh, will, uh, is the group that will become the Russian Mennonites. Okay, so they will go on a whole different path than these other groups did. The Swiss in 1710 will come to Lancaster and Chester counties. Uh, the Amish will follow them. The brethren will come in 1719. And so <clears throat> now we have a whole group of people representing all of this history. Believing and teaching 
that this is what the scripture teaches us. That you can and need to cleanse yourself of filthiness of flesh and spirit. Okay? At the same time, we are being constantly bombarded by a system that says you're trying to work your way to heaven. What you're doing is works righteousness. And they're telling our children what you're doing is works righteousness. And you're fighting against God. Okay? Anybody still here? Still listening? Okay. (coughs) And so, we're living sort of in a, not sort of, but we're living in a tension between can we raise our children to do what's right? Can we raise our children to realize that (coughs) you can live a life of holiness? Can you live a life of holiness? Augustine said no. Luther said no. What are the preachers you're hearing on the radio today saying? Oh. Now there are, <clears throat> I could put more charts and diagrams up here. Oh. But we, you are seeing the Mennonite world moving toward the evangelical world, and you're seeing the evangelical world moving toward the Mennonite world. They're moving closer. But there's a constant exodus of our people <clears throat> who leave, and I said our people, do I have a right to say that? <clears throat> who leave and, and head back up this direction. Uh, had a bishop contact me recently, and he said, he's explained to me what's going on with his people, and this is what's going on with his people. Right now, it's happening in some of the churches, some of the plain churches, it's happening right now. It happened in the group I associated with when I was a teenager. Okay, Watch it happen. It's happening again. It's always happening to some degree. Today it's happening with a little more force. Okay. And so, what else did I want to say? Well, what's the difference? <coughs> What is the difference? I do want to put another chart up here, uh, something simple. But let's see if you have questions or comments first. Uh, yes, John. Yep, yep. I don't. I don't know if I should make that red or black, but <clears throat> the people are taking that to go somewhere. That's supposed to be an arrow, not an X. So. <clears throat> Do you see it happening? Do you feel it happening? No, maybe not. Maybe maybe in Lebanon County you don't feel it. Maybe Lebanon County's safe from this. But. Is it happening more more recently because the influence is <coughs> there's more media and influence today than there was in the past? I mean, obviously it, the, the radio was a very could have mm-hmm. been a very common influence, but now you mm-hmm. see more avenues. Mm-hmm. Well, where I'm, where I've seen it over my years of teaching is that our people have, have used Christian school and homeschool and much of the time they're using Protestant materials. Okay? And I'm seeing more Protestant thinking in the students that come through the uh, Mennonite schools. And it's coming from the Protestant materials. Uh, and when I have said, well, why don't you use Christian light materials or Rod and Staff or 
uh, <coughs> there's a lot of resistance to that. So, you know, we have tried to uh, present an Anabaptist option. Now I use that word, okay? You know, these, these people were considered Anabaptists. <coughs> the reason is because everybody else baptized babies. These people baptized adults. And the word Anabaptist comes from the German Wiedertaufer, which means to baptize again. Uh, <coughs> or Dupsgesinde from the, where Menno was from. Uh, yeah. Okay, questions or comments? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Anybody know Steve Brubaker from Faith Builders? Okay. He and I met yesterday to talk about this exact question. Okay. A couple hours yesterday. What can we do? What can we do? Are there people? Here's here's my illustration that, that, I, that I shared with Steve. And so, anybody ever fly in an airliner like a big jet? Anybody ever do that? Okay. <clears throat> Did you not have landed? Did you know? Looking up. Okay. It's okay to fly in a jet aircraft at five miles high and 500 miles an hour. But there are three people up in the cockpit, right? There's a captain and a co-captain and a navigator. And sometimes somebody's in the jump seat. It'd be really good if those people know where we're going, right? And how to get there. And I get this thing safely on the ground. That's where I see our people today. We're a group of a lot of people going high and fast. Is there anybody who knows how to get us where we're going safely? Who is that? That's the question I gave to Steve. We don't really have an answer to present to you yet. And because so many... I basically spent my life learning this stuff. And the answers are not in the Protestant materials. Okay. So at SMBI, where I taught winter terms for 10 years, we had five church history classes. Let's see if I can remember them. There's early church, later church, <clears throat> Mennonite history and theology, Mennonite church in America, and Reformation studies. So I got the privilege to teach those. Those are six-week classes uh, <clears throat> pretty pretty involved stuff. And yes, there are Anabaptist books. Okay, there are some out there, not anywhere near like the Protestant world. Nowhere near, not even close. Uh, can you tolerate a couple more illustrations here? Well, how are we doing time-wise, brother? Oh, you've got another half hour. Another half hour. Oh, okay. Okay, I can fill it. Got some empty space up here, right? So, uh, <clears throat> all right, I want to put two things up here. The one is what I call Bible and culture diagram. First of all, <clears throat> let's talk about culture. Culture is not bad. We, we get told that our culture is bad. It's not bad. Okay? When somebody tells you your culture is bad, it's not bad. Everybody, every life has a culture. Your life has a culture. The culture of your life brought you here this morning. Some people have Sunday to change oil in their car, right? Or go play golf or go out to eat. Apparently, that's not part of your culture. Is that you got to change the oil in the car when you get home? Or 
No, maybe not. Or yeah. not tomorrow either. Oh, they have. Yeah, well, they won't have to do that. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I told you about a lady who made snapper soup, you know, take the live the live creature and turn it into soup. So I, I don't know what capabilities are over here. So I don't want to downplay anybody at all here. So, uh, <clears throat> Your culture is what brought you here. Your culture is why you're dressed the way you're dressed. It's the way you think. It's what you had for breakfast if you had breakfast. Uh, this is all culture, and culture is not bad. Culture can be good and can be bad. So the question that our people have asked, and when I say our people, I'm talking about the people who want to live according to the Scripture, is is this. Take the Bible. <clears throat> take the Bible. I'll just make a B, put that in a box. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, Create a culture. So if you take the scripture and you create a culture, what will this culture look like? I mean, you can accept the American culture. You can accept whatever culture you want to accept. Can you take the scripture and by the power of the Holy Spirit create a culture? Can you do that? Is that a possibility of life? That is what these people have tried to do. That's what this fragile thread of people, and many of them, I mean, martyrs mirror, right? We don't know how many people were lost their lives. Just in this movement alone. <clears throat> Thousands. Okay. Could it happen again? And here's a mistake we made. <clears throat> we thought we had a culture that was good, and so what we did was we continued... Producing culture. Culture. That's why some people drive gray buggies and some people drive black buggies. Okay? That's culture. <clears throat> and I, I, I wasn't trying to make it smaller size. That, that's, that's my level of artwork. Okay. So you can pass on a culture, but what we have to do, and what I think is so important, is that we take our culture, <clears throat> back to the Bible. And let's, I know some people, some of us are trying to do this. Teach the Bible. And take the culture you've inherited back to the Scripture. And then, look at it. And that generation has to do the same thing, okay? If you don't do that, you freeze the culture. And then the culture becomes the gospel. And that's why we get accused of being cultural Christians. And there's some truth to it. Okay? We want to be careful that we don't get caught in that. Okay, I'm going to stop and see if there are questions again. And by the way, usually after over after it's over, everybody has questions. So if you ask questions now, it'll benefit everybody. And any comments? questions is it making any kind of sense yes brother you meant freezing the culture uh, if you don't continue to apply it to the bible mm-hmm. as, as time changes mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. change, things change. <clears throat> principles are the same applications have to change my worn out illustration is 
as growing up in the 60s, we were told, don't go to the movies, right? Anybody old enough to remember, don't go to the movies. Okay. A couple of us old people here. Well, is that still a good rule or is that not a good rule? What do you think? How many think it's a good rule? How many think it's not a good rule? It needs updated. Okay. How do we update that rule? Why do, why does that rule have to be updated? Why? You can sit in your living room in front of the computer watching movies and you didn't go to the movies, right? So it has to be updated. And that's what Dave's saying, okay? You can sit in your tree stand or in the attic or in the haymow with your cell phone and people are doing this. Our people are doing this. Our young people are being inundated with wickedness and sinfulness on cell phone screens. Do you know this? And it's not just the boys anymore. It is threatening to destroy us. And you know what? You can't make enough rules anymore to fix it. You can't make enough rules anymore to fix it. And the question I have is, I talked to an Eastern minister recently about this. I said, I said, what do you think? He said, he said, we're no longer putting the fear of God in our children's hearts. And we're no longer teaching children how to say no. We're giving them too much. Too much freedom. Too much whatever. Sometimes I ask students, I'm a retired teacher now. I say, what was, you know, what do you think was the most important day of your life? Well, all kinds of answers. I say, you know, do any of you remember, and I'm going to ask this group now, do any of you remember going to a store with one of your parents or maybe both of them, and you you want that, I want that. And what did they say? Hmm? No. That was the most important day of your life. When you discovered that you don't get something just because you want it, just because you want Frosted Flakes and they want you to eat, you know, Cheerios. <laughs> just because you think you need, you know, the fancy cereal with your daily minimum requirement of food coloring or whatever, okay? Uh, instead of shredded wheat or something really good like that, you know. If, uh, and I, I'm looking over here, I see a lot of little children, right? That's where the power is. All right, one more diagram. Uh, let's see, how am I going to do this? These are all standalone diagrams, right? Here we are going through time. And this is going to happen around 1650, okay? 1650, just a round number, something called the Enlightenment comes along. And the Enlightenment made a major shift. And the major shift was over here was God and over here is me. So who is God in this world? And I, and I want to read Psalm 25 before we close, okay? Who is God in this world? Is God God or are you God? And the Enlightenment said, you're God. You can make your own rules. 
Do whatever you want to do. Nobody can tell you what to do. That that turned out to be something called liberalism, okay? And liberalism caused us a lot of grief. Around 1910, another movement began, and it was a movement that was called a fundamentalism, okay? And that movement said, we've got to go back to this. The fundamental said, this is the way to live. In the middle of all of that is is a thread that looks kind of like this. That's us, okay? And a funny thing happened. Not a really funny thing. But when this was all going on, all the tension that was going on between the liberals and the fundamentalists, it's just like a storm, okay? Unbelievable storm. But, you know, we were planting corn and canning peaches and paying no attention. We didn't know a storm was going on. But some of our people did. And some of our people said, you know what we should do? We should start colleges. 1920. In the midst of all this, about 1920, we started colleges. Elizabethtown College is a brethren college. My grandpa was a student there 100 years ago, 1921. LMH is something that's going to come later on the high school level. But EMC, Eastern Mennonite College, now Eastern Mennonite University, right? You know about all this? Heston, all these colleges. Which way did they go? Did they go conservative theologically or liberal theologically? Which way did they go? They all went liberal. Why? Okay. Pacifism was a big part of it. Yeah. And so yesterday when Steve and I were talking, I said, you know, we've been in education a long time, you and I. We know what happened here in 1920. What are we going to do today? Is there any way to understand we're working on this. Now, for those of us who were raised old order or more conservative, and, and we were on this center stream, we didn't even know this was happening. Okay? It was like, what? There's nothing like that out there. Right? Uh, well, but there was. But we did know one thing, that if you send your children to college, is that good or bad? You have to answer the simplest questions, okay? That was bad. So that means education is wrong. And education got wiped off the map. Is education wrong? We're still trying to pull out of that slump. Okay? We're still trying to find our way through that. Education is really, really important. okay? But we've got to be careful how we do it. And so we decided it was wrong. Uh, the brethren checked out. They said, you can't do it anymore. The Mennonites, 1950, came back on stream and said, we didn't do so well back in 1920. Let's start again. So they started at Rosedale. Anybody know about Rosedale? Rosedale got a little, yeah, Earl, you'll, Earl will tell you all about it. Okay. 
And then there were people said we need a more conservative school, and so there was Carbon Hill. Anybody know about Carbon Hill? Let's see where my Mennonite scholars are here. And then the people in Pennsylvania went to school, and they started Numidia. Ever hear of Numidia? Well, now we're on track. Okay. So, and then there's SMBI, and there's Heritage, and there's CBS, and there's a list of these schools. How are they doing? Are they healthy? Or are they turning out good people? Steve and I were talking yesterday. I, uh, we were talking exactly that language. And he said, you know what? We're discovering that the schools can't fix our problems. We're discovering that the schools have to be hospitals. And that doesn't work. So we have to get the emphasis back in the congregations and back in the families so we can be schools. So we don't have to counsel everybody because that's what we're doing. Okay. The teachers have to be counselors. Have to, we can't do it. Okay. Can't do it. So, Brother Earl, am I talking about things that I'm working for you today? I'm working for you today. I'm working for the Lord, but you're, you're my respect. You have freedom. He's very generous and kind here. Okay. Well, is this is this making some kind of sense? Okay. Is it possible to live a life of holiness? Can we do that? Do you realize that this is a very easy product to sell? It's a very easy product to sell. And you know, if we raise our children in a way and we don't have their hearts, they're going to buy this. And so many times I teach on Malachi 4, 5, and 6. There's three steps there. God sends prophets, and the prophets are supposed to talk to the fathers, and the fathers are supposed to have the hearts of the children. But the prophets also have to speak to the children to have the hearts of the fathers. And as a, as a teacher, I have seen many available hearts, many hearts available, many young men and young women with available hearts. In some cases, they've given me their heart. Does their heart belong to me? Nope. Nope. Everybody wants to give their heart to somebody. Everybody. And you're supposed to give it to your father. But your father is supposed to all give his heart to you. Yes, you were here yesterday. Absolutely. I think this is foundational to what will take people in one direction or the other. The idea that God enters the person's heart and changes the heart. And so... It shows us that Augustine and Luther were wrong. Okay. The basis of Protestant theology is on sin. The basis of Anabaptist theology is on is on uh, redemption. Okay. So if you if you hear Protestant teaching 
they they really emphasize that we're sinners. And it was David emphasized it this morning. But he also emphasized redemption. Okay. Okay. Uh, questions? And then I'm going to want to read. And I'm, I'm a teacher, not a preacher, so you have to understand that. So you can turn your Bibles to Psalm 25. That will be the Bible lesson for today. Other than the Bible lessons you've already heard, which I thought supported basically what I was attempting to say this morning. Okay. Why would I read Psalm 25? But let's, before I do that, uh, that will be my, my close. But before I do that, I want to... I want to know. I want to hear from you. Uh, as you said, there are many more differences between uh, the groups. And I have a list of things that I put here. Uh, in On the right side there, one of the big issues is grace. So what is the, and this is what the Protestant teaching is, that God is a God of grace. By grace are you saved, not of yourself. Okay, It's the gift of God. That's true. But grace is not only the gift of salvation. Grace is also the power to live a holy life. So as we get into temptation, what do we do? Do we call on the grace of God, which is the power to live a holy life? Or we just say, I guess I'll sin and the grace of God has covered me and I'm going my way to heaven no matter what I do. Is that is that the way? One of the big differences here, and yeah, this is a whole other story, uh, the Protestant world focuses primarily on Paul's writing in the Bible. The Anabaptist world focuses mainly on Jesus' teaching. They went to the Sermon on the Mount and said, this is what God's calling us to do. The Protestants, Luther at the same time said, no, the Sermon on the Mount is something you cannot do, so it must be for the next age. It must not be for today. And and our people, people like Mano, said, no, it's for today. It's for today. And it's the way God's expecting us to live. So, yeah, there'd be many things we could contrast. Uh, um, the military. You know, in my experience as a 17, 18-year-old, what my friends were doing, I mean, I told you what some of the girls were doing, but some of the young men were going into the military. And I remember sitting in one of their homes. His mom wore the covering like some of you wear. And, and well, our son wants to go to college. He wants to learn. And we don't have enough money to send him to college. If he goes in the military, they'll pay his education. And we prayed about it. And his, his mother was talking, large covering. We prayed about it. And he's going into the military. And there I am, 17, trying to make sense out of life and trying to make right decisions. And all this stuff is going on. Okay. How do you decide? So that'd be a military would be another another difference. Okay. So I'm going to pause before I read Psalm 25 and uh, see what other questions or comments you have.
Anyone? Yes, Jerry. No, it's okay. What you're so what you're saying is I need to put the Holy Spirit here every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it that is part of my diagram. I just I just abbreviate. So yeah. Jerry and I have a long history, and he keeps me keeps me walking straight. It's, it's a good thing. We're good friends, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So see another hand. Now you see, that's why this diagram is here. Who's God? Is God God or is she was was the lady God? Because in this system, you become God. And this came right out of the Enlightenment. And it is still controlling our world. It's controlling the counseling of the world. This system is controlling counseling. This liberal, me first system is controlling Almost everything that's out there. And if we're not careful, they'll control us. And that's what I think, you know, these people were leaving this idea and moving to this idea. And I watched it happen, and now it's, it's still happening. But there seems to be a resurgence of it today. Yeah, good correction. Thank you, Jerry. Good. Uh, David, you had a comment? You sang 690 today, is that right? Was that who's the song leader? Or did you sing number 690? What what does that song say? That song is very important in our history. It was a German song that we sang for years and years, and the the Russian Mennonites said that their songs were their sermons. And so when they had to flee persecution, the sermons weren't there, but the songs were in their hearts. This song was in their hearts. Number 690. That song was in their hearts. They sang that song when they fled persecution. How amazing. And you sang it this morning. Right? I also jotted down another song you sang, and it was, did I jot it? Yeah, 416. 416, it's okay. I guess you have to tell me when to stop here. I keep on talking around here. 416 is a song that was written by John Wesley. 416, and I'm not faulting the songs, okay? But you have to look at songs and see what they're saying. And 
Notice the difference. And here's the question. Would the Wesley song on 416, would that have been an adequate basis for them to have in their heart? Uh, and I'm not saying it's not. Wesley was a very, a very important person. I'm not, but he, he represented something different than, than the historic Anabaptist movement. Uh, you don't see much about me in number 690. Now thank we all our God, okay? And it goes to eternity. On 416, there's a, there's a, there's more of an intimate emphasis on you. And it's not a bad thing. But we have to think in terms of what's foundational and what's sustaining, okay? God died for me. That's true. That's true. Bore all my sins upon the tree. This is Wesley's language, okay? It's, it's okay. It's not wrong. And he does switch later to give up all our hearts to him of nothing, okay? My Lord, my love is crucified. It's a good emphasis, but it's not quite what would have kept, I think, uh, the Russian Mennonites as sustainable. Does that make any sense? I'm not here faulting John D. for his book. He did a great job. He's a friend of mine. Great job. And he lost a son in the process of making the book. Maybe you know the story difficult time but when we think when you think of our songs and we think about the music that's in our hearts uh, it really is very important there is why would I read Psalm 25 Psalm 25 was Menno Simon's favorite psalm so I want to I want to end with an emphasis on how the scripture shaped these people. Okay. So, if I could ask you, uh, there were many of the leaders who lost their lives in the early Anabaptist movement. In, the, in this movement, I mean, there's a lot of death in, in this whole picture. Okay. Many people lost their lives starting here. And, and by the way, we are moving, just to bring the current event to it, we are moving back into a pre-Constantinian approach. We have lived through a Constantinian era that has lasted for a long, long time where I can get away with being God because I have a lot of freedom and liberty. I can do whatever I want to do. But if, we, if we're going back, and, and that, this doesn't apply here, if we're going back into a pre-Constantinian approach where the government will persecute Christians, it's not going to be adequate for me to be God anymore. And we've got to be so careful that we aren't pulled into that loop and not be able to survive it. Okay. Okay, if I may ask you to be men of Simons, whether you're a woman or a man, and he was... he. He was hunted. There was a price on his head. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the, the leader of the Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, which, as we say, was not holy or Roman or an empire, but uh, it was Charles V. 
And Charles V was so angry about Menno Simons that he, he said, bring him in. So Menno is being hunted. Okay. He can't. My students complain about writing a 10-page paper. Menno wrote a 1,000 pages while he was being chased. Okay. <laughs> Most of my students get to sleep in their own bed at night and they'll get a good breakfast. I'm not holding up Menno as some kind of a god, you understand? But he, he has 15 pages in his book about this psalm. Okay. Unto thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without a cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Do you hear the hunger in his heart? Why, this was meaningful to him. Lead me in thy truth. Teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have ever been of old. Remember not the sins of my youth. He's not denying. He he lived a very careless life when he was a boy. Menno did. Probably not a wicked life, but in his own words, he was he liked to drink ale and have fun with his friends. Those are his words. Okay. But he says, Remember not sins of my youth. That's not what Augustine said, and it's not what not what Luther said, okay. <laughs> Nor my transgressions, according to thy mercy, remember thou me. For thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he will teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease. His seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the, of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted, afflicted and troubles of my heart are enlarged. O bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction <clears throat> and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many. And they hate me with a cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Thank you, and God bless you.